welcome to the Sounds Familiar podcast. I'm your host, Alex Lavely. Here, we're bridging the gap to find a connection in a society that can sometimes feel isolating. We've all experienced our share of successes and the challenges that we faced along the way, and we're here to talk about all of them, along with sharing some tidbits on mental health. So grab your favorite drink, pop a squat, and you might just hear something that sounds familiar. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sounds Familiar podcast. I'm your host, Alex Lavely. This is the first solo podcast of the year, and with that, I wanted to kind of bring in something new to this podcast just to encourage listeners and also encourage myself to think of something good that happened this week. I find that it can be really easy to get caught up in everything that didn't go my way or didn't go the way that I planned. And so it's my idea to kind of combat that by intentionally reminding ourselves of something good that happened. So for me, it's as simple as getting to have more time to be creative and do things that I enjoy. Since I'm in school full time and I have been working full time in marketing, it's been pretty difficult for me to find time to do the things that I've really enjoyed, like sewing, quilting, just creating things. That's, you know, one of the things that I do to ground myself and um, has really brought me joy. It's what I like to do with my spare time, but unfortunately haven't had a lot of spare time until recently. Your something does not have to be extravagant to be good. Um, It can be small as long as you can take some time to think about the good things that are available to you and that there are good things in life. Hopefully you can find some time to think about that As I've stated before, these solo podcasts are going to be centered more around mental health topics, um, things that I've been learning in my journey to become a marriage and family therapist. And so I wanted to kind of start off small, start off talking about something that can be palatable for a lot of listeners, I feel. I know that this is something that has afflicted many people, including myself. And so just wanted to kind of be informative, but also erase some of the stigma that comes with this topic. So I wanted to focus on anxiety because I have realized that many people, like I said, are affected by it and I've been affected by it in the past. Actually, very few people make it through even a week without experiencing anxiety or fear. But also on the other hand, I know that there are people who are not really affected by it, who don't experience anxiety on a regular basis. And they might have difficulty understanding those who have been affected by it, who are affected by it. And so again, just wanting to be informative, just wanting to create some space surrounding this topic. Please be aware that this is not medical advice and this information is not intended for you to self-diagnose or diagnose others in your life. I think sometimes that can be enticing to do when you have information. I know for me, I don't get on WebMD because I have the tendency to sit and think, oh, my breathing has gotten a little bit more heavy. Is that because I have XYZ? Next thing you know, I'm thinking I'm dying. So again, disclaimer, this is not for you to self-diagnose or diagnose others. And if you do feel that you need assistance with mental health or anything discussed in this podcast, please see a mental health care provider nearest you. All right, so let's get into anxiety, what it is, what it isn't, how it may look for some. Um, It 
looks different for different people, but we're just gonna get into that and talk about that. So actually there are five major anxiety disorders. I understand that not every person who experiences anxiety is going to be having a full-on anxiety disorder. So note that there's social anxiety, there's specific phobias, there's a panic disorder, things of that sort, but this episode will focus on the most basic and all-encompassing generalized anxiety. According to a study done in 2021, nearly 6.8 million Americans are affected by anxiety, which for our purposes is going to be defined as the chronic state of severe worry or tension. Those who experience generalized anxiety disorder are often anticipating a disaster or worrying about family, work, health, all of the above. So in essence, just getting through the day can elicit anxiety for some people. People with generalized anxiety tend to feel tired, maybe they have trouble concentrating, and they may suffer from depression a lot of the times. When their anxiety level is mild, people with generalized anxiety can function socially and hold down a job. So it doesn't necessarily like overtly cause a lot of issues, but just living day to day, like I said, can elicit anxiety and just be very troubling for people who are inclined to experience anxiety. They may have difficulty carrying out the simplest daily activities because their anxiety is so severe. And they may fluctuate, you know, some days it might be more severe than others. It depends on the circumstances that they're going through in life. Obviously, different things in life can spike anxiety more than others, and it kind of does depend on the person too. Now, you may be thinking, listening to this, that having anxiety sounds a lot like living in fear. And while anxiety and fear are closely related, there are a few differences. Um, Both involve a sort of arousal or an activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for responding to disastrous or obviously stressful situations. You've likely heard of fight, flight, or freeze, and those responses are directed by the sympathetic nervous system. So anxiety involves moderate arousal of this nervous system, this part of your nervous system. Fear involves a higher level of arousal. So at the low end of the spectrum, individuals experiencing anxiety may feel restless energy, kind of this tension in their bodies. And then those who are experiencing fear may present like a sweating, breathing rapidly, or just feeling like an overpowering urge to run. As I've stated, anxiety presents differently in each person. For me, I think of an example uh, from when I was younger, and this is probably gonna sound a little bit trivial, so just bear with me. But when I was younger, we would play hide and seek. And when it was my turn to hide, I would dread sitting there waiting to be found out. My heart would race, my breathing would increase, and I was like most certain that I was gonna be found out simply because of the sound of my heart beating. Like I can feel it in my head or like the sound of my rapid breathing. I thought that's what was gonna give me away. When I experienced anxiety, it sometimes felt a lot like that. But then other times it was more of an inability to take a full breath or my peripheral vision would start narrowing and and become like tunnel vision. Even for me, it has looked different. Um, For different people, it looks different. So just keep that in mind. Anxiety and fear are obviously not 
necessarily bad. They're both adaptive and help individuals to notice changes in their environments and to plan for future threats. Think about walking through the woods that you're unfamiliar with. You hear this loud rustling in the bushes. Helpful anxiety would assist you in preparing for an encounter with a mountain lion or a bear or, you know, whatever. A small amount of anxiety has also shown to be beneficial to improve performance of athletes, performers, students, and so on. It's also believed that those with more creative minds are more likely to experience anxious thoughts, which is quite interesting. But if you ask anyone with test anxiety, they will tell you that too much anxiety interferes with their level of performance. And so too little anxiety is a problem. A little anxiety is productive, but then having too much anxiety can be detrimental. How do we know what constitutes an anxiety disorder and what is a healthy level of anxiety? Typically, a generalized anxiety disorder includes incessant worry and it's often about minor things. So I'd hearken that those who have a struggle with anxiety or had a struggle at any point in this sort of way that they've heard, oh, don't worry about that. It's not the end of the world. Or don't make such a big deal about that. Like what's, what's your problem? However minor the situation looks to the outside person, um, however minor the problem might seem to somebody else in the moment of crippling anxiety, it seems like a huge deal. It does seem like the end of the world. A level of worry for someone with anxiety refers to the cognitive tendency to chew on a problem, to be unable to let go of it. So really just this ruminating over this issue that they can't seem to find a solution to. And that often exacerbates the worry because if you can't find a solution to it, it's just going to keep going over and over and over in your head until you find a solution or something else happens. Most of us worry from time to time, right? A little bit of worry is sort of necessary. I mean, if you wanna do a good job at work, you have a care, you have sort of a worry about the product that you are providing for the company that you work for, or if a child is sick, you're obviously worried about the child. But worries for people who have generalized anxiety disorder are excessive and they are uncontrollable and oftentimes very long lasting. There are a few known influences on anxiety disorder, such as gender and culture. For example, women are twice as vulnerable as men to have anxiety disorders or experience anxiety in general. And I, I do want to note that there are theories that contribute to this. They've said, you know, maybe this is because women are just more likely to report symptoms of anxiety. So I do want to be aware that there are men who experience anxiety and those men who experience anxiety may experience it on a different level or because of different reasons, such as, you know, the social pressure that they have uh, compared to women on how to act, what to do in society, like what role they play. Those things look different for both men and women. And so those can exacerbate anxiety for both genders. Women, on the other hand, are more vulnerable to various traumas such as sexual assault, labor and birth trauma, and emotional trauma stemming from maybe having been raised in a situation or in a society had them perceive that they had less control over their 
environment than men do. Those are just some differences. Anxiety varies dramatically across cultures, ranging from an example of, I think, 3% to 19%. This is not surprising, though, because considering how cultures differ um, across the world, but even for me, like I live in the United States, there are various different cultures here in the U.S. And the way that people either deal with stress, the variables of stress levels, the nature of family relationships can also play a role into anxiety or coping with anxiety. The presence of war in some countries, the prevalence of poverty for some cultures, these are all things that can really play a role into anxiety and how a person responds to anxiety, what it looks like for them, how they cope with it, etc. Hey, it's me, Alex, just popping in to give you a break from our current episode to remind you that your story matters. If you have something that you think you'd like to share on the podcast, feel free to check the show notes for a link and don't be afraid to reach out. Also, if you're enjoying the show and want to stay up to date on all things familiar, follow me on Instagram at soundsfamiliar.pod. That's S-O-U-N-D-S-F-A-M-I-L-I-A-R dot P-O-D. All right, now back to the show. Along with socioeconomic conditioning, there are genetic, personality, and cognitive influences to anxiety. Neurobiologically, there are a set of brain structures that light up and engage when people are anxious. The amygdala, you might be familiar with it, it's a small almond-shaped structure in the temporal lobe of the brain that signals emotional significance to stimuli. So when you see somebody with an angry face, your amygdala aids in attaching emotional meaning to what you have perceived. Those with higher anxiety have a more sensitive and overactive amygdala. For those who have social anxiety or just uncomfortable with confrontation, if you saw that person with an angry face, your response would be to avoid that person or to, you know, for some people, go the other way, get out of that situation. The prefrontal cortex helps regulate the amygdala activity and involves extinguishing fears in conscious processing of anxiety and in regulation of emotions. So those with anxiety, like I said, they have more sensitivity, um, more of an overactive amygdala, but they also have a less active prefrontal cortex, which those two kind of balance out the other. So when your amygdala perceives danger and your medial prefrontal cortex is unable to regulate the response to a perceived threat, then you kind of have this perfect storm to experience anxiety. Some of the most interesting influences on anxiety are cognitive and kind of the negative beliefs about the future, the perceived lack of control that a person might have, an intolerance to uncertainty, and like overly paying attention to specific threats. People with anxiety often report believing that bad things are likely to happen to them. And they might also perceive that they do not have control over their situation. I've heard it said that anxiety is overestimating the problem or overestimating the threat and underestimating one's ability to handle that problem or situation. And I just really liked the way that that kind of painted the picture of what anxiety looks like and what anxiety is. 
Childhood experiences such as traumatic events, maybe having punitive or restrictive parents or abuse, um, they, those all may promote a view that a person is not in control of their own life. Um, and those are just examples. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty more examples that we could go over that would make one feel as if they did not have control over their life. People who have had a hard time accepting ambiguity, those who find it intolerable to think that something bad is possible in the future, are more likely to develop anxiety. And finally, those who pay increased attention to threats in their environment are likely to have higher rates of anxiety. It is also those with high anxiety that search for threats as a way to self-preserve, right? Like when we think back to our ancestors who were out scavenging for their food. Um, they had a lot more threats, you know, of being mauled by an animal. This is kind of a prehistoric concept of what has kept us safe for so long as human beings. It just so happens that now as we're in the 21st century, and we have all of these things. We get our food from the supermarket. We don't necessarily need to have that prehistoric response or ways of thinking that we did, you know, years and years ago. Things look different for us, but we still are having these triggered reactions and emotions from certain things in our environment. And those things have become work. They have become family issues. They have become maintaining relationships. Social media all of these things are increasing our anxiety. And when we look at reasons why, well, it's because in prehistoric times, these issues didn't exist. And instead we had to worry about how we were getting our food, how to stay safe while we were doing so. So it makes sense that we have this part of our brain that is constantly scanning our environment, looking for threats, looking for ways to self-preserve, um, in case anything arises, but anxious people have difficulty pulling their attention away from that perceived threat. And they tend to stay focused on that object or that problem for longer than others do. Sometimes intense anxiety includes catastrophic thinking. So for example, if Sally is washing dishes after a long day doing just a normal task that she's done before, but she starts to feel dizzy, she might presume that something is wrong with her body because she's never experienced that before. And this thought that there's something wrong with her body triggers anxiety for her because she has family history of severe illness. So her anxiety contributes to more dizziness, racing heart, breathlessness, and chest pain, which then further equates that there is something wrong with her. She thinks, oh, it's the stress of work, and she believes that the, the stress that she feels at work is eventually going to kill her. And then the cycle kind of repeats again. Anxiety, more symptoms, blaming the stress of work, anxiety, and so on and so on and so on. Other times, intrusive thoughts are the culprit of anxiety because your brain is wired to scan for potential threats, as we've discussed, physically and emotionally. All predictions going on in the subconscious mind are part of scanning those threats. So sometimes those intrusive thoughts, those predictions are odd and they come at very inconvenient times, like when you're in the shower or Worse, if you are trying to go to sleep, being able to label them as an intrusive thought is one way to help lower that anxiety. 
A common misconception about anxiety is that it's all in the mind. And this is confusing to people and it diminishes the experience of the one who suffers because they feel like physiologically there are symptoms like pressure in the chest, a sick feeling in the stomach sometimes, the tension that's all over the body without feeling or thinking any anxious thoughts. And sometimes people are unable to identify what they're thinking or what they're feeling. And this makes them question like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? You know, but the reality is that their parasympathetic nervous system is overreacting and their limbic system, which is the survival center of the brain that we've discussed, is also overactive, leading to an excess in adrenaline in excess in cortisol, which is the stress hormone, blood flow surges, digestion can be affected by this. There can be uptick in their heart rate and in their breathing. These physiological symptoms come along, but they don't necessarily feel like they're anxious. They don't think anxious thoughts, but what's happening is that their body is responding in a different way. So our bodies tell us what they need. And in this circumstance, the body seems traumatized and it really is just asking for help. For somebody who is struggling with anxiety or has somebody that they love and care about struggling with anxiety, one of the biggest questions is how can I treat anxiety? How can I get relief from anxiety when it's like in the moment? How can I guard against anxiety? These are all valid questions. First, let's talk about what's not helpful. It's often unhelpful to try to talk yourself if you're the one with anxiety or talk to the person who does have anxiety, talk them out of feeling anxious. Logic does not work during these times of extreme or anxiety because the part of your brain that is responsible for rational thinking is shut down. It is not working because this goes back to the functioning of the amygdala and of the prefrontal cortex that we talked about. As the amygdala signals a threat, the prefrontal cortex is what's responsible for the response and it can shut down, allowing the amygdala, which is the locus of regulating emotional um, activity, it allows it to take over and that can induce mental paralysis and panic. There's also not necessarily a reason to stop and think about the logic. So when we go back, like I was saying, prehistoric times in the middle of running away from a threat. There's not a reason to stop and think about the logic behind that. Our brain is trying to preserve us, trying to save us, and we're not gonna spend time thinking about, why am I doing this? Your brain shuts down access to the rational thought, so it can be prepared for that fight, flight, or freeze reaction. As stated previously, Anxiety presents differently in everyone. So it makes sense that not all treatments work for all people. And we'll start with some helpful techniques like relaxation training to promote calmness. Um, generating calming mental images often helps um, to use in times of stress and anxiety and helping empower your loved one or a therapist, helping your client be empowered to achieve calmness and relaxation more rapidly. Those are all great things to have kind of in your arsenal of guarding against anxiety or, or trying to limit the length of an anxiety attack or panic attack. Deep breathing techniques and aromatherapy can also be used to treat anxiety. 
more structured techniques include what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. So CBT is what is referred to in the more clinical setting. This kind of therapy, it has a big name, but really what it is, is it's mostly done in talk therapy with a mental health therapist or mental health clinician. In this type of therapy, there is focus on helping to improve problem solving and to address maladaptive thought patterns that lead to anxiety. So for example, if someone has deep anxiety about being abandoned or losing someone that they love, they might work on recognizing when they start to feel abandoned or all the times that they feared possibly losing somebody in a more irrational way and when it didn't come to be. Other cognitive behavioral strategies used to target excessive worry instruct people to worry only during scheduled times which sounds very odd if if you're the one who is experiencing anxiety. Like, what do you mean? Do you, you are prescribing me a time and a place to let my anxieties run wild? That just doesn't make sense. Like, I want to be spared from these issues. I want to not feel anxious. And yet here I am being asked to feel anxious at various times. So asking people to test whether their worry works um, or if it benefits them by having them keep a diary of outcomes and helping people focus on the present moment instead of worrying about the future. These are all some um, CBT models that help to overcome anxiety. A small number of studies indicate that CBT treatment is more helpful than relaxation treatment alone. So there are also some medications that reduce anxiety. There's nothing inherently wrong with a person who does not see the desired outcome from any of the other techniques that we've mentioned. And again, there's probably a lot more that we can cover, but for the sake of time, this is kind of just an all-encompassing, informative episode on anxiety. Some people just have a genetic predisposition to being vulnerable to anxiety. Two of the most commonly used types of medication are benzodiazepines, um, so Valium, Xanax, and antidepressants such as selective serotonin uptake inhibitors, which SSRIs, you might be more familiar with that term. Um, As a reminder, if you believe that you need assistance with anything discussed in this podcast, please do your research and contact a local mental health care provider near you. There is so much more to go on about anxiety. You know, I think there's a lot more questions that can be answered as far as how do I help somebody who struggles with anxiety or in general, like just has struggled with mental health. And I plan on talking about that in my next solo episode so be sure to check that out but for now i hope this episode brought understanding of anxiety and what it can look like or feel like to certain people who are affected by it if you struggle with anxiety asking for reassurance is not being too much and it doesn't make you needy so please try to remember that there are people who care about you and want to help you next time that you feel anxious. And for those who are curious about supporting a loved one, again, I will be discussing ways to do so in the next solo podcast. So um, I'm really looking forward to that one and I hope that you check it out. As always, thank you for being here and I will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sounds Familiar. 
If you've enjoyed the show and found some value in it, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a written review and a glowing rating wherever you're listening. We all know how this internet stuff works, so it'll help more people like you find this show. If you want to stay up to date on all things familiar, follow us on Instagram at soundsfamiliar.pod. Talk to you next time. Have a great week.